You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I'm your host, Tim Capper, along with my co-host, Cliffy D. Hey, sir, how are you? Oh, Tim, you know what we're doing right now? We are verbiage. We're talking. Yes, we are definitely talking. But you know what we're <laughs> going to be talking about? And I'm, I'm beyond excited to be able to talk about? Um, uh, a Saturday home game. Well, that's definitely exciting too. That's uh, definitely good stuff. But okay. and we will talk about that. But okay. Uh, okay. no, that's not quite what I had in mind. Um, uh, uh, tackle hunger game. Well, yes, that's definitely important. Okay. And uh, yes, uh, by all means, folks, uh, if you're going to the game this Saturday, please uh, bring a non-perishable food item, or bring your wallet and uh, donate as much as possible to this uh, absolutely wonderful cause. Uh, I, you know what? I, I'm at a loss. I, I, what? What? What are we? What? What else can we be talking about, Cliff? I. I'm I'm at a loss for words. Victories, <laughs> and that's with an S at the because the Montreal Alouettes are on an oh, on a winning streak, an early season winning streak. That's right. This isn't two garbage games at the end with you know B players or practice roster guys just filling voids. No, 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 no. It is in July. Yes. We are definitely in the CFL season. And the Montreal Alouettes, the team that everybody called a dumpster fire, a train wreck, whatever adjective you want to use, this team is now on a two-game winning streak. And my God, that's, that's so good to say. That feels so <laughs> good to be able to say that the Montreal Alouettes of the Canadian Football League are on a two-game winning streak. And we talked about this over the past couple of years, too, is that the Alouette's not taking advantage of certain games, you know, at the point where they were at maybe a game under 500 or, uh, or you know, and they could or get a game above 500 with an actual win and get them in a certain spot within the CFL East. And over the past couple of years is that this, you know, the Alouette's team just really did not have it in them and they, they would basically fail miserably. Uh, I felt that this game versus Ottawa was actually one of those games where it was a statement game, not necessarily because you know you know we'd beaten uh, you know previously un, you know previously unbeaten Hamilton. We had a very hot Red Blacks team that would that was coming into this game too, and, and we were on the road. But this was a statement game. I think this showed that the Alouettes were able to are able to win a, a game when it is necessary where it could actually improve their standing within the CFL East. So I was I was very happy to see them uh pull that off and and get that you know get this win and, and it was it was convincing too. I mean I know you're at the game. I want to hear about what you thought. And we're gonna talk about the about uh, obviously the other situation <laughs> that happened to break. Well, you know, winning hey we're winning on the season but off the field we're firing people left, right and center. Um, also, before we continue, we also ha- actually have two good interviews. We have one with, uh, uh, with, uh, TSN's football insider, Dave Naylor. He joined us to talk about the, the, uh, Cavers Reed situation. And also we have our, uh, game preview with Andrew from the Eskimos Empire podcast. And we'll, we'll get to those very shortly, but, uh, you were at the game there, Cliff. And, uh, uh, what I, I saw some of the shots that were on TSN from the groups that were there. Uh, the, uh, I think I heard it was two bus, 
two buses that of Al's fans that went to Ottawa. That's very good to see. Um, give me your, give me your, uh, uh, give me your. Uh, tell us about your experience. Oh well, again, I wasn't on either of those uh, buses. Yeah. I went up of my own volition to uh, to TD Place, and I tell you, like the the tailgate atmosphere was fantastic as always. Uh, they do a great job uh, just getting fans interested. And then once you're in the stadium itself, yeah, there was definitely a lot of red, white, and blue, which which was definitely nice because I, I think this Alouettes team has so much potential. And I think it took a, a while for a lot of people to sort of come around, whether it's because so many changes and just so much uh, distrust in the organization itself. You just you didn't know whether you were going to jump in full full force or not. And I get that. I completely understand that feeling. But just to see the number of fans that showed up, and I'm sure it was based solely on the fact that they – went ahead, they won that first game at home the week before, and all of a sudden they're going into Ottawa, a place where they've had minimal success over the past couple of years, but uh, every once in a while they've been able to pull out a victory, and uh, I, I think that they, they just felt that they had this game. They they wanted this game bad enough, and the Alouettes themselves wanted this game bad enough. They wanted to win for the fans that were there. They wanted to just keep, keep the momentum going. They had a good bit of momentum going into this game, and when it was all said and done, they're rolling now with some major momentum. Yeah. Oh, quite so. Quite so. I mean, this was a this was a, a complete game overall. I mean, it it started just immediately right away with the uh, with the Tommy Campbell interception there uh, to basically set the Alouettes up almost in. Uh, I think it was in the red zone, um, and it just it just went from there. I mean, I know people are talking about you know is there a quarterback controversy now? To me, the answer is no. Uh, because as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, Vernon Adams is our, our starting quarterback. Um, but it is, it, it's enjoy. You know what, Cliff, to see the team score 36 points t- in two games in a row is, it just shows that they are clicking. The offense is clicking, and uh, it, it's, uh, it was always very nice to see. Uh, the Alouettes yeah. did, uh, did win 36-19, totally dominating. It didn't start off as well as we as we had hoped. I'm sure Cliff, we the uh, the weren't able to complete the the drives and only had to settle for three field goals. Um, but uh, uh, over from there, the the second half, just like last week, uh, it was a huge improvement, and that's where they took uh, took control of the game. Absolutely, you talked about earlier this being a statement game. And I absolutely have to agree. It's a little early in the season normally to be saying something like that, but I think Montreal really did have to come out here and make a statement and. Let there be no doubt. This is the football team of one Vernon Adams Jr. He played a masterful game. You talk about stats-wise, he nailed everything. He had this offense rolling. Whatever Kahari Jones is buying, or whatever he's selling, I should say, Vernon Adams is buying, and he is putting it all to work. He's got his receive. He's got the ground game clicking at a very nice rate. I, I I cannot say enough good things about just how well Vernon Adams has settled into the starting role. And he's proven beyond a shadow about this is stuff that we believed in. From day one, we believed in Vernon Adams, you and I. And now the rest of the league, the rest, the rest of the country, basically, is waking up and realize, hey, yo, what? They got a pretty good quarterback there. And no, it's not Antonio Pipkin or any of the other previous names that have tried to replace Anthony Calvio. It's not about that anymore. It's now about establishing something new, starting a new chapter in the Alouette story. And it's being written right now by a very talented writer named Vernon Adams. He has come in, he has made this team his own, and it has gotten to him. He is still humble. He's, he realizes 
this is his opportunity to really do something, to really make his mark in the Canadian Football League, and he's not squandering any of that opportunity. And for him to come out and play the way that they did, to be able to lead this team uh, just in, in, the, in the fashion they did and be able to beat a divisional opponent like Ottawa was just absolutely fantastic to watch. And you're right, Cliff. I mean, the stats alone, just uh, they do everything justice from what, what you just said. I mean, uh, Vernon Adams ended up the game with only seven incompletions. He was 23 of 30. I mean, three. And these were, by the way, all yardage. This was a career year, a career game for him. 327 yards, no interceptions, two touchdowns uh, passing through the air. He also had two touchdowns rushing. Uh, Stamick didn't get uh, didn't any touchdowns. I mean, he had 100 yards, but I, I was trying to remember the last time that the Alouettes had two straight games over 100 yards rushing. Who would have thought there, by the way? Um, but the big name, too, that came out of this, uh, if you didn't know, you'll probably know him now, Quan Bray. What a game. Six targets, five receptions, 134 yards, one touchdown. But, you know, even though he, he was the leader for the team this week, I mean, uh, 135 yards, the, the one was that long touch. He was, the dude was just wide open, eh, Cliff? Uh, <laughs> he was on an island all by himself. Like, nobody was touching him. Yes. And, again, once again, you, you watch how just how Vernon breaks out of the pocket, rolls out, and just throws a rope mm-hmm. right to Quan Bray. And literally, like, there's no defenders around him. Like, he's he just sauntered to the end zone. It was hilarious to watch. Like, does no one else see this? Like, yeah. wow. Yeah. Just yeah. an absolutely beautiful play. Devere Posey was back. Uh, he had seven targets, four receptions, 31 yards. Uh, Jake Winicky, uh two for two targets and two receptions, uh, 22 yards. Uh, also, BJ Cunningham had a great game, seven targets, six catches, 64 yards. And Eugene Lewis, uh, three for three and uh, 59 yards. Uh, this was a, and I think one of the biggest positives about this game, by the way, Cliff, and we mentioned this last week, the Alouettes only gave up 268 yards passing. Woo. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Dominic Davis was not able to carve up this, uh, Alouettes defense, which I found played a much more cohesive game. It still, you know, wasn't perfect by any stretch of imagination. The, the run defense, uh, was, it left a little to be desired, but, uh, I think for the most part, they did tighten things up. As you said, they kept uh, kept the, court, the opposing quarterback under 300 yards passing, which is definitely a good shot in the arm. Definitely as far as trying to build the momentum, trying to get uh, get people believing in this team again. you gotta, you got to turn into performance like that. And uh, they, they made plays happen yet again. And that's what I love. This defense is making plays happen. They're throwing their weight around. They're causing turnovers. They're doing the, the little things that you have to do to help win football games. And I, I definitely have to give them full credit for that. Yeah, it was as you know, it was just a, a a perfect game from from all accounts. I mean, it's it's you know, it's nice to see this type of stuff. It it, it just seems that even with even with all the turmoil that the Alouettes are going through, uh, that they are able to uh, you know continue winning and stuff like that. So it's uh, it, it was great to see. Um, we just need to to keep it up, don't we? <laughs> Well, and, and and here's the thing, what, whatever, as I said, whatever Kahari Jones is selling, everybody's buying. Like there is that cohesiveness. There is that, that sense that in that, in that locker room that we can do this, like we can win football games. We've got the pieces in place. Like that is the feeling right now, like, especially talking to these guys after the game, there's that sense that we've got something here and 
this has the potential to be something really special. And it's just a matter of you show up, you do your job, you work your plan, and good things are going to happen. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to predict that this team is going to rattle off 16 straight wins the, to finish the season, but holy Moses, like this is, this was good. This was a good win. This proved that this team is for real. Uh, I think uh, as it stands right now, I mean, this 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 really turned the CFL on its ear. Like, I don't think people were expecting Montreal to come out and play the way they did and, and just look so dominant as a result. Like, yeah. this is this is not that. Uh, joke of a team that people thought it was, was going to be and i have to tell you tim like that that's a good feeling to know that your team shows up shows out the way that they did and just performs when when their number is called outstanding just absolutely outstanding yeah uh, a huge huge plus to the defense too i mean pat you know uh, our free agent uh free agent uh, defensive back uh, patrick levels man 11 tackles what the what <laughs> oh yeah I mean, he. I've said before, and I'll say it again. He is definitely on an, another level. Yeah. As far as so, as far as his gameplay goes, I mean, he comes to play every single game. He throws his weight around, and he's a force. He has become a real force in that Alouette secondary, and I am here all day for that. Yeah. Uh, also, Hinek Mwambo had seven, and also Greg Reed continues to shine. He had six total tackles. So. Um, it, it seems that uh, everything seems to be working in uh, at least at the moment uh, through through four games where uh, uh, the defense and the offense are finally syncing together and they are playing a full sixty minutes uh, uh, on both sides of the ball. That which is which is a plus to say. I mean, there are obviously there are some a couple of things that we will talk about in our 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 our, um, uh, our, our grades for the week. Um, but I mean, and I must go talk about one of them now is because we really don't talk about special teams is what's a, you know, what's up with Boris bidding? Um, one, I think it was, what was it? One punt that went out of bounds, uh, for a penalty because it went out before the 40 in the air. And also he had a, a miss PAT. Um, you know, obviously with the Alouettes not having Kripenia on the practice roster anymore, cause he was picked up, uh, <laughs> Is he thinking that everything's back to normal again, or is is or do you think the Alouettes will will try to play mind games with him and and pick up another cor- uh, pick up another kicker? Well, and again, this is not to take anything away from Tyler Kripinia, but I'm I'm really surprised. Like you have a kicker on the practice roster, yeah. Uh, why not get him more involved in games? I mean, I obviously you, I realize if you activate him from the practice roster, yeah. Start at the top. Go. Okay. Again, with uh, with, a, with such a spotty performance, uh, I mean that's this is the the part that's really it's hard to wrap your head around. And is it really a matter of does Boris Bede really need to be motivated every single week? Does he have to feel like his job's being threatened for him to play better? Like uh, to me, that's not how it should work as far as uh, uh, being a, a professional football player goes. But uh, I mean, I'd like to see if we've got a kicker on the uh, on the practice roster. Yes, you're going to have to start him, but. Uh, Maybe that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, especially the way things are going right now. I mean, the ratio is being shifted a few different ways. Uh, there is a global spot available. Uh, we've been using it to, with one of the linemen. And, I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, maybe it wouldn't necessarily be a bad idea to have Enrique Yeni come in and just work alongside of Boris Bader. Not necessarily take his job, but just work with him. Like, have one guy concentrate on kicks, one guy concentrate on punts. And maybe that'll help things along. Maybe that'll just be just enough of a change so that 
Bender doesn't feel like his job is being taken away from him, but at the same time realize that hey, I've got to I got to step up. I got to be able to play when the lights come on. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping maybe something like that might be just that little shot in the arm that he needs just to get himself back on track and to stay on track. I don't know. I mean, it's not that he's he, he's done bad. It's just that it's it just seems to be at, at obviously it seems to be at most inopportune times. You know, totally opposite than what it is in Ottawa for sure, <laughs> for sure. I mean, but uh, you know, not everybody can have a you know pro football record of what was it now sixty one in a row, sixty one or sixty two. That uh, this uh, kid and I. S- Swear to God, I don't think this kid is old enough to vote, but you know he's, he's old enough to hold, hold a, a, a CFL football record or a professional football yeah, record. Professional football record, yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, we might as well go ahead and talk about, because I know we have quite a, quite a bit to, 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 to digest this week, including the two interviews. Um, but uh, we might as well go ahead and get to our, uh, to our, uh, our game grades. Um, so uh, when it comes to uh, uh, to defense, Cliff, uh, what would you give the uh, give the team versus uh, Ottawa this past week? I'd go with a solid B. I, I think they played uh, they played the game that they've been playing for the past few weeks. Uh, they've created opportunities. They've they've caused turnovers. Uh, they've haven't been shy of throwing their weight around. Like this defense, I find has it's starting to come along. It's starting to come together and at just the right time. Like I. Uh, I still think there's a lot that needs to be worked on. I think they've done a good job so far of cutting down on the number of passing yards and and that. But however, the run defense uh, wasn't really much to write home about. Mm-hmm. So as I said, there's there's always room for improvement. But I, I think uh, this past uh, this past game was uh, a big improvement over what we saw, say, in week one, for example. And uh, I, I definitely think they're on the right track. I think they're they're not quite there yet, but they're definitely on the right path to building something uh, like building a really solid defense here in Montreal. So I, I feel pretty confident in being able to give this grade a, a good solid B. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you on that one. I, again, there are still some things that need to be improved and uh, a, a good test would be this week for, you know, versus the Edmonton running game. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty dead set on exactly what you said too. So uh, what about the offense? Oh, wow. <laughs> how, how can I not go a, I mean, as I said, Vernon Adams proved that he's a leader. He proved that he deserves to be in the discussion as far as starting quarterbacks go in the Canadian Football League. He went out there. He threw 300-plus yards. He threw for two touchdowns. He ran for two touchdowns. This guy was the offense for the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, he's gotten William Stanback involved in the game. And for, for Stanback, no, he didn't score any touchdowns, but he still racked up 100 yards on the ground. I mean, that's... That's pretty solid, considering where this run, de- uh, this running offense has been over the past couple of weeks. This is this is great. This is a there, there's so many positives here, and the receivers they're making plays. I BJ Cunningham, did you see how he trucked Antoine Pruno? Yeah, just ma- making one of his catches. Yeah, holy jeez! Like, yeah. and I think I think Pruno even had to go out for a series yeah, because he, he was yeah. he was that dinged up. Yeah, uh, Eugene Lewis. For weeks we're wondering where the hell he's been. And then not one, but two outstanding plays to, to help move the chains. I mean, he's come alive now. Uh, Quan Bray, what a find this kid was. I mean, literally out of nowhere. And he and Adams have just had a great connection. Like, they have – we saw it in training camp, like, the, the way those two work together. Because for a while there, Vernon Adams was not even close to being considered as a starter. And Quan Bray certainly wasn't either, being on the practice roster. But these guys work together from training camp. Uh, they – clearly developed a good connection and now they're both in starting roles 
you're, you're starting to see the fruits of that labor and it it's just beautiful it's just a, a thing of beauty as far as just how well it's worked and how many points are they're producing as a result mm-hmm. so uh, how, how can i go any lower than an a as far as how this offense goes i mean kahari jones called a great game vernon adams put the plan to work to per, i won't say to perfection but uh, he did an outstanding job and i mean this this offense really really came together and it it was a fantastic fantastic game for for the Alouette. Yeah, so, you know, every I say everything wasn't perfect. Uh, there were a few passes that Vernon got yeah. luck got lucky with, um, and uh, you know I think Eugene Lewis actually saved him on one, uh, but you know because he with his height, um, it, it wasn't it wasn't perfect. Um, being at that, I'd probably give it just an uh, even though how well they did it. There's still a lot to to, to I think improve with. Uh, but that that'll come with with more reps and stuff like that for Vernon. So uh, I'll I'll give the offense uh, I'll give him an A minus. But it, it's just it's on the cusp of just being a regular A. It's just a, just a couple of things I think uh, that need to be fixed. Um, but it's hey it it seemed to do well. And uh, as I said uh, we're on a two two game winning streak. So and you're right. And still early too. Like there, that's the beautiful thing is there's still so many games as you said just work on those little things just to improve here and there you can always get better that's the great thing is the more reps the better you get practice does make perfect and again i'm i'm just i'm really excited at the direction of this team as of as as of right now as of where things are going on the field this is it was a very encouraging day let's just say last last saturday in ottawa to see this team come together the way they did and just perform like just flat out perform yeah and Divisional wins, you can't get much better than that. No, I mean, exactly. that's two in a row, too, on top of that. So they're they're now two and zero in the division, which is which is huge. So um, obviously, the big news that you know we didn't have much, that much time to celebrate after the win, uh, where something basically you know something uh, some huge news dropped uh, really early on uh, Sunday morning, and I think I was the one who gave you the quick heads up, and we we're and basically both of us were were, were left scratching our heads. Uh, we ended up finding out that uh, that uh, general manager Kavis Reed had been uh, let go, fired, what, what, whatever, whatever you want to say, uh, relieved of duties, what, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so many, so many different things that, that have uh, been speculated have been said by different uh, different sources and stuff like that. Um, this, you know, if this is uh, completely true, that all the stuff that's come out about what he's done and try to circumvent the cap. Um, using the Alouettes, uh, I w- I'm not going to say as a personal piggy bank, but you know, uh, charging certain things to the Alouettes that he shouldn't have. Um, it's uh, you know, even though it is during, you know, it's only four games in. Uh, I think it was something that had to be done. No, it's true, and I, I'm kind of at a loss for words because everybody wanted Kavis Reed fired because they felt he was incompetent. They felt he was making bad moves. He had made a lot of bad moves and. Even the good moves that he made were just overshadowed by uh, all the other decisions in the past. So I, I think there, initially there was a lot of celebration because they thought that, okay, now this is gonna, this is what's going to make the Alouettes better. And it seemed kind of weird because, I mean, a lot of the pieces that are in place right now for this Alouettes team are as a result of Kavis Reed. Uh, it was Kavis Reed that brought Vernon Adams back. It was Kavis Reed that uh, signed... Uh, players like uh, Patrick Levels and Tommy Campbell, and uh, I, again, the, the list goes on and on. But uh, there was a lot of good pieces in place, and it's a, as a result of Kavis Reed as general manager. 
However, uh, as we've learned, uh, there's uh, some other extenuating circumstances as to the reason why he was fired. And they even mentioned it in the press conference that uh, uh, it, it had nothing to do with the football team itself, like how they were performing. It was definitely a matter within uh, Cavis and the Alouettes themselves. Uh, it also had nothing to do with a- any potential sale of, uh, of the Alouettes to uh, any new ownership group that uh, that had been speculated as well. And yeah, I even wondered that too. Yeah, I we, I think we even both wondered that too. Like uh, new owners coming in and they're going to want to clean house. That's to be expected. But to do it four or five games into a season, uh, well, I mean, again, this is coming from the team that fired their head coach six days before the season started. So uh, again, you, you just never like the, all, the only thing that's predictable is just how unpredictable things can be. Uh, again, as far as how personally I feel about it, it's hard for me to say. Like we've had actually a very good relationship with Cavis. Uh, he's been on the show. Uh, he's always had time for us to sit and talk and explain some of the moves that have been made and and that. So as a as a person, I, I definitely think highly of Cavis. Uh, but uh, when I see some of the stuff that's uh, been alleged and all that, I mean, it's uh, like it really does give pause for consideration. Uh, like I said, as far as to how this uh, team is being run or. Or what? I mean, it's uh, like I said, it, it's just a, a very bizarre situation to say the least. And uh, I, I guess the team had the team did what they had to do to, I guess, get rid of any sort of negativity, any sort of bad vibes, or anything like that. And I'm my my sincere hope is that this doesn't affect the product on the field. I want to believe that Kahari Jones has this group in a good place has them locked in, laser focus as to what the goal is, and just be able to tune out all the extracurricular stuff. If if they can do that and just keep winning football games, and they're not even necessarily winning, just being competitive, like to field a competitive team, and if they can get a few wins out of the process, so much the better. And I, I want to believe that Kahari Jones is going to be able to do that, and whatever is going to happen as far as the off-field stuff goes, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. So we just right. have to see where... You know, we'll see where the where the chips fall, and uh, there's really not much more we can do about that. No, and uh, we're gonna actually get to the interview now that we had with Dave Naylor earlier. Uh, we talked about the Alouettes. We talked about the, this whole Cavis situation. Um, so we'll uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll get to that interview now, and when we get back, uh, we will continue with the show. And on the line with us now to talk about uh, well, what's happened over the past couple of days with the Montreal Alouettes. TSN's football insider, Dave Naylor. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Uh, we hear you're in Kansas. I am in Kansas, yeah. Between, uh, I don't even know where in Kansas I am. I think about a half hour to past Topeka, away from Kansas City, on my way to a place called Hayes, where it's going to be 104 degrees tomorrow. And uh, we're doing a story, shooting a feature on uh, a defensive tackle with the New York Jets, uh, Nathan Shepard, the kid from Ajax, Ontario, just outside of uh, Toronto. Uh, who has a remarkable story of a guy who was like completely out of football, uh, didn't tell people about his dream to be in the NFL because he thought people would think he was crazy and ended up being a third-round pick of the New York Jets. And uh, it's a really, really great story that we uh, we shot some stuff with him in Toronto a couple weeks ago. And the more we got to his story, we said, you know what, to, to really tell this story properly, we need to we need to go to Hayes, Kansas, where he went to school. So we spent a couple of days there this week. That's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm sure all football fans and you know Canadians alike are, are looking forward to, to watching that. Um, well, here's here's how far off the map football map he got. The year he was eligible for the CFL draft, nobody took him. 
the Hamilton Tiger Cats slapped his name on their necklace because if you don't go in the CFL draft, it's first come, first serve. But, yeah, flip fell through the CFL draft because nobody knew he was still going to play football. Third-round pick in the NFL. Oh, wow. 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 Sounds a little bit like the uh, like the Hawaiian kid uh, that the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers ended up drafting, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there are some quirky players in the CFL. Well, you know, the CFL, my favorite was the year that Vaughn Martin was in the draft, and he had been in the NFL for two years. <laughs> oh, yep, yep. I believe Jim Montreal Pop- took him, and he That's did right. play for Montreal. Eventually. That's right. Yeah. It, took That's a, it took a couple of years, but eventually he did make his way up to Canada, and uh, yep. fortunately didn't quite pan out, but uh, I mean, again. You know what Vaughn does now? No. He is uh, deeply uh, in the marijuana business. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. maybe maybe he was originally part of Clifford Stark uh, Stark's uh, ownership group from Montreal. <laughs> I, I don't know. He's, he's Toronto-based, but he is, uh, yeah, I've talked to him a few times, and he is uh, enjoying that new industry and, and the things that he's doing in it. Wow. Oh. Interesting. Good. Wow. Good for him. From the Good C- for him. CFL to marijuana. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, it, it, you know what? As of recently, David, it seems that we may have been smoking some of that because just by what's happening with the Alouettes as of late, you know, first, you know, right before the beginning of the season starts, we lose the Alouettes, you know, uh, jettison our head coach and uh, bring in Kahari Jones as the, as the interim. As far as that's funny, interim head coach, which I think he should have had it all along. Um, but now this interesting thing where Kavis Reed all of a sudden, suddenly on Sunday gets gets jettisoned. And for some very interesting, well, supposed reasons that we're hearing, or whatever the, you know, the the, the different sources are saying, and what the Alouettes aren't. But uh, in your long tenure of covering and being an insider for football, Dave, you ever seen something this weird? No, I honestly haven't. And look, you hear a lot of things in the CFL when it comes to the salary cap, right? And I think there is it is a league where sometimes teams use degrees of creativity. And, you know, there is an enforcement arm in the league office, right, that, that goes through this. And, I, and there are all kinds of things, that, again, that you hear whispers and stuff like that. But I, I think it's a little bit kind of like the speed limit, right? Like, if you go 110, people aren't going to freak out. Right. If you go 170, they will, right? Like, right. And, and all that. And if the oversight, it, when, you, when your team is owned by the league, you know, the oversight that you get may be a little different than when it's not, right? So, um, look, I... Yeah, I, I thought when the minute that I heard the Cavus Reed was being dismissed, I said, uh, I think it's one of two things. Either there's new ownership about to take over mm-hmm. or something happened with some of the budget because I knew the league was owning the team and they want to run a very tight ship because the other eight teams are, are, pay, are paying the bills. So, and it turns out, you know, it was, I was sort of right on the ladder. And, you know, like, again, you know, Matthew Pru and, and Didier of RDS have done some great reporting on this and it's been backed up by things we've heard from people. So, yeah, there was a lot of creativity going on there. And I, I say, I think there's sometimes there's some gray area in the CFL when it comes to this. Uh, but what, you know, Cavis Reed may have considered gray area. The league clearly did not. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a, the fact that they, that they you know, made this move as, as, as they did at the time, I think, as a team on a two-game win streak tells you this was not right away. You knew it wasn't a football move. Yeah. And uh, in the end, you know, it's it's not a very proud legacy for for Cavis Reed uh, overall in his two plus seasons as GM of, of the of the Montreal Alouettes. When you look at their performance on the field overall, or the way the manner in which he goes out. Do you subscribe to the idea that if you're not if you're not uh, trying to cheat, you're not trying it. You're not trying to win, or is it just something? Because right now, as you said, with the league owning the team, well, it could be across the CFL. I mean, it's the same thing that may have happened in Saskatchewan, you know, recently with them having basically two teams uh, to practice with. But do you subscribe to that type of thing, or is it? No, I, I don't at all. Because, and here's why. I mean, 
like in a game, that's one thing. But when you're talking about the rules of your sport off the field, like, you know, can you try and get an extra yard or, you know, get up and put the ball down six inches ahead? No, they're going to spot it there. Yeah, sure. That kind of thing. But I, I think, you know, when you get into stuff like this, it's about credibility, right? This doesn't do your league any good. If, if the notion is that everybody's cheap and then you get this sense that, well, if we don't do it. Everybody else is. And, and it's the Wild West. I mean, in, in, you know, I remember the days when the CFL salary cap was essentially theoretical, right? It was more like a suggestion than it was a cap. And, it, I mean, it, it's not good for business. There's a reason that all major professional sports leagues enforce their cap with a, with a, like a, in a very, very strong manner and deal very harshly with teams that cheat because it, it undermines the business model. And I would argue it undermines the credibility of your league. So, no, I, I would not, in this context, subscribe to the idea that, if, you know, you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. I'd say if you ain't cheating, it's bad. For, if you if if you if you ain't cheating, then it's good for the league. If you are cheating, it's bad for the league in terms of the credibility. How do you, how do you see this with the with the Alouettes going forward? I mean, obviously with the with, with the league owning the team now, oh, at least at the, at the current time, and the rules that are set in place for you know when it comes to cheaters. I mean, even today, the Alouettes fired two more people who are working under Cavus and who have determined that they they helped him be able to to, to try to circumvent the cap, but. Uh, do you see the league coming down hard well, on their own team? Well, I think I think they've done with their coming down hard on them. I think they you know they've dismissed the people that were associated with it. Like in the case of Cavus Reed, I can't speak to the other people who who were who was reported that are no longer with the organization. But I think that's like when you fire somebody, that's a pretty swift response, yeah. right? So so I, I don't see there being any follow up to this. And and I think you know whenever the new owners take over. I think there's going to be a pretty thorough evaluation of everybody there, you know, who's being kept, who's not. And I don't, I don't think anybody's you know, job is going to be safe. I'm not saying everybody's going to be gone, but I, I don't think anyone's necessarily going to be with sort of the new ownership of the Alouettes just because they were there. If right. You know what I mean? All right. Cliff. Now in light of uh, this move uh, made by the Alouettes, uh, I have to wonder just with everything that we're, we're, we're still learning a lot right now, but uh, do you think, as far as the previous owners, the Wettenhall family goes, do you think that they were complicit in what was going on with uh, Reed and some of the, I guess, lack of for a better term, shenanigans that were going on with him? Or do you think it was just something he was doing on his own? Well, this would be a complete guess on this one because I, I don't know. But my, my thought would be that they probably didn't know. And I think that it was, you know, that would be likely a function of the fact that they were absentee owners, right? And and, and I, I don't know Andrew Wetnall at all. I knew Bob Wetnall, you know, a little, I was more than a little bit, I would say, you know, especially in sort of the prime years of his ownership. Uh, but, you know, Bob is an older man now. Uh, he is, was, I don't think, know how engaged he's been in the day-to-day or week-to-week operation of the Alouette for the last few years. And from what I understand about the time that Andrew was, you know, more the point man of the ownership, you know, he was certainly not, as involved as, as his father would have been, I think, in you know earlier times. So, uh, you know, I think that's one of the issues of the LOS, right, is, is just the whole, you know, the ownership and how much they actually knew what they were doing in the last few years. And I think there are a number of moves I could point to illustrate that. But I, I would just say I don't think it would be hard for, you know, somebody who was running that team and wanting to do, you know, funny things with the salary cap or paying players off the books or things like that. I don't think it was a situation, you know, where you had the owners – coming through every week to look at the books or ask you or go through it line by line, that kind of type of situation. That's certainly my impression. So, you know, while I couldn't, you know, accurately say whether or not they knew this was going on or not, if I had to guess, my sense would be no. Okay. 
And now we come to the conclusion of the Cavus Reed era, and mm. it's going to be remembered for a lot of things. I mean, he definitely yeah. did some good moves. He made some good acquisitions, but unfortunately, and I think he's definitely been tried in the court of public opinion as being relatively incompetent for a number of moves. Do you think there's one move in particular that's going to really stick out for CFL fans as we look back on this, say, five, ten years down the road? Well, unquestionably, it's the Johnny Manziel trade, which, by the way, I believe this weekend it's the one-year anniversary of the Johnny Manziel trade. But, you know, like there was a trade that had a lot of risk. And, look, Dallas had to do something. If you look at where they were quarterback-wise at this time of year, a year ago, I don't think Manziel was a terrible gamble. But I think they could have mitigated that risk somehow because everybody knew there was a possibility that Johnny Manziel was going to go off the rails. And by that, I mean that he was going to violate the terms of his conditions to play in the Canadian Football League. And I think in that it behooved you know, the Alouettes to, to make a deal that says, okay, if he's still on the roster, you know, week one next year, we'll do this. If we're good. Because Hamilton was trading him because they knew there was risk there, right? And there weren't that many places to trade him. And, and I think if they had not so much not given up so much, but perhaps you know, staggered the release of those draft picks dependent on Manziel, you know, being on their team, they, they could have mitigated some of the risk that was involved in that trade. And ultimately, you know, they took a gamble and it didn't work out. I mean, I, I, think, I think the other thing he'll be remembered for a little bit is also Mike Sherman, which was a totally, you know, off-the-radar hire of a guy who never had any experience in Canadian football and I think was probably, you know, the wrong hire. I mean, people looked at Mark Trespin and the success he'd had in the Canadian Football League, but I think you've got to be careful to not make the exception the rule and that is most people who have never coached canadian football are going to struggle at it no matter how much you did in the nfl and look i remember the news conference where cavis reed was introduced as their general manager and, I, and i've known cavis you know quite a while i would never say we were close or you know that he's a close contact of mine or anything but yeah i've known him a while i remember him as an assistant coach going back to the ottawa renegades days i remember him as a player with the edmonton eskimos and i, I was just surprised because I, I didn't think he had the resume or the background of a general manager. You know, he had been a guy who'd been a coach. He'd been a special teams coach. He'd been a head coach. He'd been, you know, he certainly had a, a, a strong variety of background in his CFL coaching experience. But as a GM and as an administrator, you know, that didn't seem to me to be what he was all about. And I remember, and still remember the news conference where Andrew Wettenall said, you know, we did our due diligence and went, you know, up, forward, backward, all around and, try to find and we kept coming back to Cavis Reed as the, the best candidate to lead our team as the general manager. And without sounding disrespectful to Cavis at the time, I thought, really? Like like why? Like what what in his background made him the best candidate to be a general manager? I, it, it just it just was strange. And it led to so I think some questions of whether because he was already on staff, because he was on the books, because they would have had to fire and pay him if they fired him, you know, did they hire somebody on staff to promote to general manager? Because at that time, the ownership was, you know, trying to mitigate financial losses to whatever degree they could. So I thought it was a curious hire at the time. Just, again, nothing personal about Cavis, just in terms of having followed his career. I just never saw him position himself to be a general manager, and yet that's what he became. And I, I think they're, you know, they never really, you know, maybe now in Vernon Adams, they've solved the quarterback thing, but they certainly never solved it up until going into this year. And and I think we're still away from saying, yeah, Vernon Adams is a you know, frontline starting quarterback in the Canadian Football League. Uh, I thought his, his activities in free agency, particularly not so much this offseason, but a year ago, I thought he overspent on Americans in free agency, which I think is never a good idea. Uh, and, you know, the, I, I guess one of those things where you would just say the team's record 
you know, under him is what it was, and, and that's how he'll be remembered, and that's how he'll be evaluated. But, uh, yeah, it's it's not going to be a glorious chapter of Alouette's history, no question. Do you see Kavis Reed being blackballed in the CFL? Do you see him ever returning in any shape or form to a team in the CFL? I, I'll say this. I think it would be hard. I think given you know the lack of success during his two-plus seasons in Montreal, um, given that his you know, tenure as a head coach in Edmonton uh, didn't go that well, uh, I, I, again, I, off the top of my head, I, I couldn't speak to what his record was, but you know, it, it wasn't it, you know, it was a disaster by any means, but it wasn't also uh, you know, it also wasn't a roaring success. And then when you have this uh, issue about managing the salary cap, I think it, it that's that makes people pause. So I, I wouldn't be able to say you know blackballed or you know on the outside from now on. Yeah. I just think it, I think it's going to be a challenge for him. You know, to find you know meaningful jobs in the Canadian Football League in the short term. That would be my guess, just based on the Montreal. Yeah, Cliff. Okay, uh, let's switch gears here a little bit. Uh, with the Alouettes ownership situation being what it is now, the the the, owner, the team's owned by the league, and now there's potential that uh, the Lankoff brothers could be coming in from Hollywood of all places to come and purchase the Alouettes. Uh, can you shed a little bit more light on that? Yeah, I mean, from everything I understand, the league is way down the road with these guys. You know, that, that this has been, and look, they're, they're not really, you know, keeping themselves secret. It's Peter Lankoff has you know, started live tweeting Alouette game on his Twitter account. Uh, you know, they were at the game in Edmonton in the opening week. From what I understand, they're going to be at the game this week in Montreal. And, and certainly, you know, the sources I have been able to talk to about this um, have suggested to me that this is moving along in the direction the league likes. Uh, it's not just the link up for others. From what I understand, there is a, uh, a diversity of investors that is uh, in the fold with them. I, I think the, the missing piece, and by that I mean not so much that it's actually missing in reality, but in terms of it hasn't been exposed in the media, uh, is you know who's, who's the local piece here? What's the local presence? You know, these guys, you can't just say, well, we're from Montreal and we've been there, but you haven't been there in 30 years. And that's your local presence. You need somebody who's been in the market recently. You need somebody who understands the market. You need somebody who's going to be in the market day to day to run this team and and to really to provide that local presence. And yeah, Peter Lankoff is a very successful and busy television producer and writer. And Jeffrey Lankoff is you know, a lawyer who's largely in, involved in the entertainment business and, and other things in Southern California. It, it doesn't sound like they're planning to uproot and come home and run this team. So. That's the curious part to me. And I, and I think the league knows that there has to be a local, a strong local component to this. I think the Lankoff brothers understand there needs to be a strong local component to this. But, if, you know, as a starting point, you would say that, you know, to take over and rejuvenate this team, you need money and sort of, you know, c- good creative instincts. I think both these guys, I think these guys have that. Right? And, and so, I, you know, for, to my, from my understanding, what is being sorted out is, you know, settling who the other investors are going to be and what the local presence is going to be. Now, in terms of timing, with all that said, and I said this back in April and May, I said, if I was going to buy a CFL team, I would want to buy that team on about the 5th of November, you know, to give me sort of the seven months of lead time. I, I don't want to buy, take over a team and, and be beholden to the decisions that were made in the previous offseason that weren't mine and have to eat some share of the losses that aren't mine. And I'm sure whoever the league was negotiating with in the spring, the first question would be, okay, how are you going to protect me from this season's losses? Because, you know, I don't, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to accept losses for decisions that I didn't make. And so you've got the other eight teams in the league right now carrying the bill. 
from what I understand, they were all prepared at the beginning of this that you may have to carry this team through the course of the season. It's not something that's very pleasant because the Owls are going to lose a fair bit of money this year. So I honestly don't know when this is going to happen. I, I was led to believe at the time that Cavus Reed's firing was announced that you know there is no date in place. You know, there was, it was not like, well, next Friday we're going to announce that it's they're, that they're way down the path with these guys, but they are not you know, at the stage where they're ready to schedule a news conference. For old school fans who've been following the team since 96, Dave, do, 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 do they have any worries that oh, are these guys are going to be another Michael Gale fan, Jim Spiros ownership group, or do you think these guys are, have a lot more clout than they did? Well, I, I think they, I mean, I, the question would be, you know, what's their level of commitment? I think one of the things the league is looking for, like from any prospective owner, you know, is a line of credit that, that basically you've got to put some money up so you can't run the team for a certain amount of time, a short amount of time, and then just say we're out of here. And like I, the other thing that I think these guys are doing is doing their due diligence, right? And from what I've heard from one source, that they have a plan that they think they could break even with this team in, in two years. Now, the question would be, okay, what happens if that doesn't happen? Uh, and, you know, and what's their level of commitment beyond that? And how much money are they willing to lose? And those are all good questions. And we have seen owners in this league cut and run before, but it's really tough to prejudge a potential owner. And I've had people say to me, I can't believe they're going to bring in these guys from Southern California or what do these guys know about this or this or that, you know, to me, I'll start the clock on these guys at their introductory news conference. Right. I'll listen to what they say, assuming that we get there. I'll listen to what they say. I'll listen to their ideas. I'll look to see who their partners are. I'll look at who they're bringing in and, and then we'll start evaluating them now, trying to evaluate them as owners, you know, from when they haven't become owners yet. And really all we know about them, is, you know, what's been written about them in, in the media. You, you know, there have been profiles done on Jeff Lankoff. There have been profiles done on Peter Lankoff. You know, I've read some of them, certainly, you know, looked at things that have been written in the Montreal media. But it's very tough to kind of evaluate what kind of owner somebody is going to be. Yeah, you know, like and I, I've lived through this before. I mean, I remember, you know, when Bob Young came into the league, you know, in, in 2003 or four. I mean, he was a Hamilton rich guy who was in tech in North Carolina. Well, what kind of owner would he be? I have no idea. He turned out to be a pretty good owner, right? Yeah. So it's it's a very difficult thing to predict or anticipate before it happens. Fair. Cliff. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about how things are going in general. Right now, the Alouettes are 2-2. Two and two. They seem to have turned a bit of a corner. I know it's, again, still very early in the uh, leadership role of uh, Kahari Jones as head coach and essentially Vernon Adams as starting quarterback. But uh, based on what you've seen so far, Dave, uh, should Alouette's fans get excited? Should they temper their excitement a little bit? How how should we be feeling as Alouette's fans, supporters, what have you, about this current team? I think Alouette's fans should go ahead and get excited because they haven't had much to get excited about for a while. So, you know what? Even if it turns out to be uh, a little bit uh, you know, ahead of the curve here, or uh, you know what? Go ahead and enjoy this because this team's played really well and they the last couple of weeks. And, and look, let's back it up one more. Right? They, they played pretty well in the opening week against Edmonton. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't... Uh, a bad performance either. So, you know, if you look at the entirety of their of their season, you know, overall it's been pretty good. And then, of course, you look at the last couple of weeks and in beating Hamilton and in beating Ottawa, you know, they beat two teams that came out of the gate hot. You know, it's not like, you know, they've been tripping over teams or that they pounded a team that was tripping over itself the first couple of weeks. And, you know, I think all along the defense has not been the great concern there, um, I would say, as much as it's been, you know, can they solve the quarterback piece? Can they move the ball? But, you, you look at what's happened with, you know, bringing in players like Juan Bray, who's looked really good. And, and obviously, William Stanbeck is the difference maker. He's the one now that teams have to pay attention to. And I assume as this goes on, you're going to see more and more teams, 
you know, stack the box and try and make Vernon Adams beat them. But that's going to make his job easier because, I mean, you want to get to a situation where you're, you know, like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, where, you know, every week Matt Nichols throws for three touchdowns and they win big and he throws for 200. Matt Nichols has had one 250-plus yard game this season. You know, and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are the best team in the league and scoring like crazy. You don't want your quarterback to have to throw for 450 every week, right? You want that balance. And that's what Stanbeck gives them. And look, I, I you know, I, I look at him. I don't know, I don't know how long he's going to be in this league because I look at him and see he just turned 25 last week, I believe. You know, he's got a very NFL running style. When you see a guy who's who's that fast and that physical and that young, you figure he's probably going to get into an NFL camp somewhere next summer. But uh, you know, who knows beyond that? And while you know he's healthy and carrying the ball to the Montreal Alouettes, he is reason for fans to get excited and to be hopeful about. Uh, you know, what they might do this season. The team does seem to be rounding into form. And again, if Vernon Adams could develop without the pressure of having to do it all himself, you know, that, that's going to make a big difference. Wow. Well, we, uh, obviously we, uh, we appreciate your time. We know you're on the road and you're doing some, uh, you, you know, you're doing some uh, getting together that interview for, uh, for, for the future on TSN. And uh, Dave, we, we thanks for, thanks for all of your insight. And uh, we agree. We greatly appreciate you joining us on the pod this week. And uh, if, if anybody doesn't know, they should know already. But if they wanted to follow you on Twitter, where would they find you at? At TSN Dave Naylor is my Twitter address. At TSN Dave Naylor. Yeah. And I'm uh, pretty active on Twitter. Yeah, simple, short, and sweet. Fantastic. Well, man, have a, uh, have a safe trip. And uh, we look forward to seeing, uh, uh, seeing your, inter- your interview on this uh, that you're setting up right now very shortly. Yeah, we're going to run it uh, probably early, very early in the NFL season in September. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, very excited about this story, and uh, it's going to be a couple of interesting days. Again, thanks for uh, for Dave for joining us. Uh, considering where he was, and he was on the road doing a, you know, uh, shooting a, uh, uh, I don't want to say a bit. It's not what they do, but an, <laughs> an, an interview series that they're going to be uh, running uh, sometime during the uh, uh, during the uh, NFL season, but uh, it, for him to take the time out that he did, guy knows his stuff, Cliff, and uh, we were we were lucky to have him to uh, see what he thinks about uh, the whole cave situation and about the Alouettes. Oh, without question. Uh, I mean, you, the name Dave Naylor definitely rings true when it comes to uh, the Canadian Football League and football in general, really. Yeah. So we were very, very privileged to have uh, Dave come and spend a little bit of time with us here on the flight deck. Uh, he's always welcome to come back and uh, talk some more football and uh, Again, uh, trying to help uh, shed some light on this whole uh, situation. And again, I, I guess there's still so many questions that need to be answered. And only time will tell just exactly how things will play out. But uh, uh, once again, we definitely appreciate Dave for coming in to, uh, to share some of that with us. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, stay tuned uh, throughout the NFL season to see what this, uh, this project they have coming up with. It sounds like it's going to be a really fascinating piece. Sounds like fun. Uh, heading now into the the game for uh, for uh, this week, uh, uh, the we're going to be finishing our series with the Eskimos. Uh, wow, hard to believe we're going to be finishing already this early in the season, Cliff. Um, but the Eskimos are coming to town, um, uh, and this is a good Eskimos team. Um, and uh, you know, this is going to be a matchup that I think is another another test for the Alouettes to see how good this team actually is. Um, you know. This is a, a this is an Alouettes team that has lost to the Eskimos eleven straight times, so this, they have a, a lot to think about. I mean, it's uh, um, again, it is a a game that you know I don't again, it is a, a game that that can show the league how good this team actually is. Uh, I think win or lose, um, but uh, I, 
I don't I don't know what what much else to say. Um, um, but I know we did speak with uh, Andrew from the es- uh, from the Eskimos Empire Pod. We'll get to that interview now. Uh, when we get back, we will talk about uh, we'll, we'll finish up the show. We'll talk about uh, a couple of things, and uh, uh, we will uh, we'll go from there. And on the line with us now to talk about this week's matchup between the Eskimos and the Alouettes is one of the hosts, one of the three hosts of the Eskimos Empire podcast. I'm just Andrew. Uh, you know, considering how, I mean, the CFL landscape did change this past offseason when it came to free agency. And, and, and it's fair to say, I think, that the Eskimos were one of the winners in the free agency con, you know, contest over the offseason. Um, you know, what's, what, what have you seen? Obviously, the differences that you've seen uh, are quite a few. But what have you seen when it comes to the to the, to the Esks compared to the Esks from uh, uh, 2018 versus 2019? Well, you're right in that there was a huge change in the number of guys. Um, <clears throat> a lot of turnover as far as starters are, con- are concerned. Uh, you look at that receiving core and other than uh, Natea Jay and Kenny Stafford, it's all new guys. Um, but you know, I think the biggest thing that I've seen that's made a difference or, or been a difference in the team is that you really see that team unity and, and they've really been working on this. They're really working on that culture, um, of you're playing for the guy next to you and not playing for yourself. Um, and I, I really think they've done an excellent job in that this year. And that's part of the reason that you're seeing that success. I mean, it's hard to, um, be too upset when you see names like Larry Dean and Don Unamba and Trevor Harris and Greg Ellingson all of a sudden coming in to wear your team colors. But I I think as much as they have that star power and and they're very good players, I think there really was that, uh, that different feel of, okay, we really need to bring everyone in together and make sure that they're, they're ready to play for that next guy and, and, and make stuff happen. I was having a conversation with some guys uh, on while I was in Vancouver, and the best free agent signing, though, of, of the offseason is probably Coach Lolly. Uh, we see a huge difference in that defense, much more the type of defense that Eskimo fans like to see. And uh, I, I think that's those two things are probably the biggest change as far as from 2018 to 2019. Wow. I, I never would expect to hear that a coach would be the biggest change. I mean, it's... I'm sure you know. I know you're a an, an Eskimo super fan and stuff like that. I mean, it's not, how? I mean, how, what was your first reaction when you heard basically that you 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 lost your starting quarterback and especially to a to a division rival? Well, I think there's two things with that. We had kind of heard the rumors start. I, I want to say even July August of last year mm-hmm. that it started to make sense. You've got. He wanted to get closer to his family yeah. and, you know, Emily, his wife was ready to go back to work and now they had the two kids and, you know, it's, it's really, really hard to compete with a, an hour drive, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, I, I, we kind of had those rumblings and then, and then there was a lot of, well, maybe he's coming around and, and I, I honestly do think it was a difficult decision for him. Uh, but uh, me being a dad myself, I, I get it. Family comes first. And so I think when the weekend right before free agency, when on the Saturday, Sunday there, it was basically announced that he wasn't going to be back as an Eskimo. I think there was a lot of fans that were ready to just 
crumble and be you know right. all sitting on the floor in fetal position and all <laughs> you know this team is never going to be that good the nice thing is is less than 48 hours later free agency opens and Brock Sunderland just turns everybody's head and says okay this is what we've been dealt no problem uh, plan B let's kick it in and brilliant move by Brock actually to let Mike talk to other teams early and and basically get that down and so he knew what to do when free agency opened and he took the money that he saved there and spread it out over a bunch of great guys and uh, I I really I think that that 48 hours was the biggest uh, roller coaster of emotion for Eskimos fans that we've had in a long time I can imagine I mean you're talking about fetal position I think the past three four seasons the Owl fans have been in the fetal position <laughs> but but it seems that at least this year with, with the with the changes you know it, it's it's hard to believe a cliff that for us to say that to actually have our head coach fired on the eve of the 2019 season would actually be one of the, the huge positives this year right oh without without question i mean like that would sink most teams and i'm sure a lot of people thought that was going to sink the alouettes too but i uh, talk about resiliency talk about uh, Dealing with the hand that you're dealt, uh, that's exactly what Kahari Jones did. Uh, this probably wasn't the way he wanted to start his uh, head coaching career in the Canadian Football League, but uh, it is what it is. He's going to do the best he can with it, and uh, look where things have worked out now. I mean, I think uh, Montreal has gotten themselves into, uh, I wouldn't say a great position, but there's certainly a hope that where there wasn't hope before. So, I mean, that's only a good thing as far as I'm concerned. So, I sometimes it's just like in Edmonton, like you... Yeah, you're going to miss Mike Riley. You're going to miss uh, his presence on the football field. You can't forget the fact that he won a great cup for Edmonton. But, uh, you know, now it's uh, very much a new era in uh, in Eskimo land. So, uh, I mean, now now Trevor Harris has come in. He's become an absolute dynamo. And uh, now Edmonton Eskimo fans have to be very happy with every, how everything's turned out when it's all said and done. Well, oh, it? yeah. No, I, I would agree. I, you know what's funny, though, Cliff? I was said this on our show this week. It, I don't know what it is that we always play the Alouettes right after there's some major thing. Like we were playing you right after they made the Manziel trade. We we're playing right after Sherman gets fired. And this week we're playing again oh, right yeah, after right. Davis goes. It's like, it's like, we're just uh, right before. Uh, now the nice thing is, is we don't play again. So you guys shouldn't have any too many major other moves <laughs> until next year. I mean, that's the, that's the positive you can take out of it. But unless I'm about to say Montreal, that, I, and, I think I know where you're okay. going with this, Cliff. <laughs> now, can you just imagine what kind of bombshell would have to be dropped? Great Cup week uh-huh. for the Alouettes and Eskimos to about to take the field, and then boom, this happens. <laughs> well, considering the cone of silence yeah, during the Great Cup, are you kidding me? Come on, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. That would be quite the bomb then. Yeah. This week, you know, obviously the we played in week one. And, it, you know, even though the Alouettes lost to the Eskimos, it was a very competitive game. I mean, both Cliff and I usually yep. consider, you know, week one anyway, like another preseason game. Um, but it just, you know, it set the stones into place for what we're seeing this week. I mean, the series between these two teams, Andrew, have been basically a series of runs. Uh, you know, the... Esks have now won 11 straight games versus the Alouettes after the Alouettes, I think, won nine straight or something like that. But um, you head into this game, I mean, as an Esks fan, you're like, uh, what What are we going to be able to do in order to repeat what we did in week one? Oh, yeah. No, I think there's going to be a lot of that. I, I, I do think, though, that we also have to keep in mind that going into week one, 
we were prepared to face Antonio Pipkin yeah. and we're doing quite well against Antonio Pipkin. And then Vernon Adams came in and changed that game as far as I'm concerned. Um, and really, really put a, a different look to the Alouettes. Uh, so now we're, we're facing them where Vernon has run that offense for a couple of weeks. Um, he's really starting to get comfortable back there. And he's also um, really starting to use the weapons that he has, uh, uh, particularly stand back, yeah. which uh, scares the living hell out of me. Um, so uh, I, I think this game uh, is going to be very, very competitive, very close. Um, I, I think that it'll be a lot like the second half of that first game, yeah. uh, but all the way through. So I, I think we're actually lining up to have a, a really exciting game this week. I'm hoping so too. Cliff? All right. um, of the players that are in the lo- going to be in the lineup, um, to me, the one key that Montreal has to focus on for Edmonton is C.J. Gable. Uh, what's been, as far as you're concerned, What's been the, the key for Edmonton's success early on? Has it been Gable? Has it been Harris? Has it been a combination of the two? What's been the, if you pinpoint one thing, what would be the one true successful element that this Edmonton Espos team has? Well, th- this is going to sound a little bit funny, but the the one true thing that's worked this year has been having Jordan Maximic be the OC. Um, and the reason I say that is because we're actually seeing a balance between run and pass. Uh, last year we saw Mike Riley throw a lot of balls and a lot of them downfield, um, for, you know, some gain and some would connect and some not so much. And we're, we're seeing a lot more shuffle in the game plan. Now we're seeing a lot of CJ Gable, uh, even last week where he's not having a whole ton of success. He ends up with 77 yards rushing on 20 attempts. Uh, but he's got the 20 attempts and that's, that's what we need to have in this offense for it to be successful. Um, so I would say offensive side of the ball, I think just being able to mix up those plays is a huge thing and, and helping CJ Gable, obviously Trevor Harris, and his accuracy, uh, again, in this particular offense where he's mostly throwing those, you know, 12, 15 yard passes at the odd time, obviously going down the field, but that 12, 13 is like the sweet spot for him and, uh, guys are catching it on the run and it only, you know, we, we dominate in the time of possession because they'll get 10, 11 yards, first down, 10, 11 yards, first down, and just keep doing that and, and eat up some clock. So I think, that the combination of those three is really what's making the Eskimos tick right now on the offense. And defensively, like who's got to get in Vernon Adams kitchen and really disrupt him. Who are you looking in that defense to really shake things up and get uh, possibly a turnover or two, uh, or just whatever it's going to take to throw Montreal off their game. Well, there's two names that I'll put out here. Uh, one of course is Almondo Sewell. Um, the man is playing on Uh, just a mission this year and he is making a lot of centers and guards look silly uh, because he just has so much um, power coming straight at them Uh, you it's hard it's hard to ignore him and then you double him and now you've got 
Mike Moore and Kwaku Boateng and Nick Usher, who's really kind of broken out of his shell this year. Um, so those, those that front line, but I think it's really driven by Almondo Sewell. Um, and I think he's he's given, well, one one quarterback in particular, I'm sure he's giving a lot of nightmares to. Um, but I, I think on the defense, the other guy is Vontae Diggs, who's been um, playing in that, that Sam linebacker position and, or sorry, Will linebacker position. He is standing out to me. He's just all over the field. He's been creating those turnovers, uh, getting into the backfield and and disrupting running uh, routes. Um, Really, really been impressed with his play. Um, And I mean, Larry Dean is is helping to keep those linebackers together. But but Vontae's really, really stood out to me so far this year. All right. As far as the Western Division goes, uh, I mean, Edmonton is definitely... I wouldn't say surprised a lot of people, but I think kind of caught a lot of people off guard because you got the usual suspects like Calgary expect, always expects to do well. Uh, BC, they made a, a lot of wholesale changes, and that could go either way. But I think a lot of people really severely underestimated Edmonton. Uh, really, truly, like uh, free agency moves aside, what's been the one thing that uh, Jason Moss has really preached to his, his charges to really get them to buy into what he's going – what his uh, – his vision is because we know Jason Moss as a great offensive mind, but we also know him as a bit of a, a bit of a hothead, shall we say? What, what, what is Moss done with his group that has made, really made them buy into his vision? Well, a couple of things. Uh, one is you see at practice them doing more things as small teams together so that they're increasing that bonding, uh, basically be- making it more of a family unit. Um, Kayla really talked about that this week where, you know, the, the Eskimos didn't, you know, go guns blazing into BC, but they had an amazing game because they were all playing for each other. And I think I touched on that earlier is it just seems that that's, that's part of what Moss is doing is getting them involved in doing other things. They're going out bowling together as a team, uh, even with, you know, the office staff, like everybody is going out together to, so that they kind of get all together and do things together. But I think the one thing we can really say this year is that Moss hasn't had any of those meltdowns this year. And he really hasn't had one since about mid season last year. So I think he's starting to try and, and kind of preach the whole, you know, we can be frustrated. We can play on the edge, but we don't have to go the extra, you know, freakout level um and i think that's actually helping with guys i think a lot of the guys that they brought in those were the guys that they talked to and said okay are you coming in and and how are you approaching this this is our team philosophy uh it really goes back to the the bone that they use a lot which stands for brotherhood of nasty eskimos and they're really kind of getting in you know kind of getting behind that belief once again. And I think that's why you see some of them again, just that you're getting that extra success because everybody's playing for each other. And it's, it's really, really nice to see as a fan because we love to see uh, the, the cohesion between everybody. Um, But I, I just think that Jason Moss has really decided to say, okay, like we're all in this together, but you know, we're going to go out there and play fierce and, and that's what they're doing. 
So, so, uh, so, so, so you're saying it's your, your coach. Uh, he likes the live mic games now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he'll ever be a fan of the live mic games, but I don't think he'll, um, you know, from, from the times that I've pro, talked to, to protest him, they, they, as much. They, 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 yeah, they probably have to, uh, they probably have to silence his mic a lot more anyway. So <laughs> just from his regular talking in a football game. I'm trying to remember, uh, have the Esk been, because I, I, I don't remember the, the broadcast schedule, have the Esk been involved in a live mic game? Yes, we had one so okay. far. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think that, I don't think that he's, um, I don't think it'll ever, he'll ever be a major fan of it, but I think he's gotten to the point where it's like, ah, oh, it's just, uh, you know, part of the beast, yeah. so to speak. So, yeah. so what, what are the S, uh, I, okay, um, what do the Esks need to do this week to win, and what do the Esks need to do not to lose versus the Elvis? <laughs> well, I mean, you got to get both sides, sides of the thing. I mean, it's. I, I, I guess that's true, yeah. So, okay, well, what are they what do they need to oh, let's start with what do they need to do to not lose? Yes. They need to get less penalties than they did in that week, that game in week one, that because, was, yeah, yeah. oh, my goodness, we had no <laughs> toes left at the end of that from shooting them all off. Um, so, I, I mean, that and that has slowly been decreasing over the last couple of games. So I'm, I'm hoping that that goes down again, that we get that even a little bit more under control. Um Prevent, preventing our own penalties is is a big way to to give ourselves an advantage, but it's it's one of those things, like you said, the way to not lose. Yeah. Um, what do they have to do to win? Uh, two things. First thing is find a way to slow down the combination of Vernon Adams and um, William Stanback, which is not an easy task. But one of the ways that you can slow them down is with extended drives. Uh, if the offense can stay out not turn over the ball, have, you know, uh, get CJ Gable involved early and, and kind of burn up that clock, uh, with just our offense on the field that will make a huge difference because then you stand back, can't get in the game and cause problems. Yeah. So, um, I think those are kind of, that's, that's the best way to win is to by keeping them off the field. And when they're on there, just try and minimize them. And, uh, if they can do that, I think they have a good shot at, uh, again, I really think this is going to be a very, very close game. Uh, the way the Montreal Alouettes have played the last two weeks, uh, I, I just can't, I don't feel confident that it's just go in and, and win. Um, I think there is definitely going to be a, a lot of work to be done and a lot of focus that they're going to need to, to get it, pull out this win. And uh, early lines show this game being the Alouette's a home dog. Uh, you know, Edmonton is currently favored by, by five points, uh, according to, to five dimes, uh, sports book. Uh, does that, does that, I don't know how much do you keep track of that, but does that type of thing surprise you at all, Andrew? It's a little surprising to me, honestly, with the way that Montreal won their last two games. I think I think it's an early line and they're probably basing it on the the 33 to six score coming out of B.C. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's the lowest points that the Eskimos have allowed during Jason Moss's tender. Um, So you think that, you know, there's probably putting a little bit of uh, a little bit of emphasis on that, a little bit of emphasis on the the record of the Eskimos, the, the four and one record, yeah. three and three and one, three and one, four and one. I, I can't remember. I have, I'm, I know they're doing well. They've only lost one. I know that part. So I think there's a little bit of that, um, being, pl- you know, kind of playing into it, but yeah, I, to me, I think that's a little bit of a high early line towards the Eskimos. Do I think they should be favored? Yeah, probably. 
Um, but do I think that it's even by that much? No, I think it's going to be a way closer game. Yeah, uh, three. Yeah, Edmonton's three and one. <laughs> three and one. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. I'm like, wait a sec. No, it's. I know it was week five, but we had a buy in there. Yeah, we're yeah. three and one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Having yeah, all these buys, Al's having buy week and week two. Like what? Um. <laughs> I know it. Well, it throws me off because I'm like, well, we just had week five, so we must be four and one yeah, then, exactly. right? No. Yeah. yeah. No. 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 We had a we had a buy in there. Exactly. Uh, but again, if if you look at that, and not that I want to take anything away from the wins that they have but two of those wins were against bc which has is a a bit in a shambles right now i mean between the two games uh what what did we sack mike riley something like 16 times i mean four of them came back from for you know roughing the passer but but 16 sacks i mean uh, when you have that on an an offensive line between two games yeah they're, they're having a bit of a rough go so now going up against Montreal, who has kind of solidified that and, and kind of got better on offense, yeah, I, th- I think it'll be a much closer game. Cliff. All right. Well, uh, I mean, you've, you've certainly said quite a bit uh, so far. Uh, overall... I know. I, I'm really chatty. Yeah. <laughs> chatty is good. I mean, that's, that's what we're here for, right? We're here to talk football. So. That's right. <laughs> uh, as far as how the rest of the season is going to work out for Edmonton, I mean, like I said, you guys are on a pretty good upswing right now uh i mean anyone who's doubted this team uh, certainly has had their doubts uh, squashed right now uh going forward what's what do you think uh, fans can really look forward to from the edmonton eskimos i mean provided everybody stays healthy like where where do you see this team ending up uh, when it's all said and done in 2019 uh i still see them finishing second or third um at the beginning of the season i actually had them kind of battling for fourth um and it was just because i didn't want to put a whole lot of confidence when you bring in so many different guys from so many different teams uh you're never quite sure what that gelling is going to be like but it seems that they've gelled rather early um and and working together I'm very excited for when some of those guys start to come back. Like we really, we haven't seen Javon Santos Knox on the field yet. We, Donnie Unamba played one game and then went on the sixth game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see some of those guys start to, to pour back in and, and we're going to be, uh, you know, then you're even better than what you are now. So I, I think there's a lot of things to be excited about. Uh, and I, I really would expect at this point that the team win, uh, finishes second or third. I, I'm hoping second. I don't know if uh, and you'll, you'll get to the point of getting ahead of Winnipeg right now with their continuity and the, the way that team is playing. Um, but, I mean, every every team is only a few injuries away, right? So we'll we'll see how that turns out. Yeah, as people know, Cliff and I don't make predictions anymore. So uh, we can say we will finish somewhere in the East Division. Uh, Excellent. <laughs> I, I did make a prediction. Though. I said this. I said the Alouettes would not go 18-0, and 0, and I also said they would not go 0-18. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm right. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've, you've won that one already. I so nailed that's it. Good. Yeah, I think absolutely. nailed it. <laughs> oh, man. Well done. Yes. Um, for and obviously being a part of the uh, the Canadian football uh, podcast family, you guys have uh, you know you you put your own spin when it comes to what you guys talk about with the Eskimos and the CFL. Um, if God forbid, if anybody hasn't listened to you guys uh, before, uh, what give them a reason to tune into you guys each week? 
Oh yeah, well we we have a we have a ton of fun. Um, I'm very lucky. I have a couple of co-hosts in uh, Superfan Mike, who is a living Eskimos encyclopedia, which is outstanding. Uh, and then uh, our other co-host, Commissioner Kayla, and she. Uh, just she just brings a complete different energy uh, to the show because uh, she's a, a little bit newer fan in comparison to us, but she gets so excited and uh, and has some players that she really uh, connects with on a number of levels and just you know learning the game all the time and and she's got an amazing energy that makes us all laugh and have a great time. So um, so that's probably the best parts to tune in. I mean, I just, I, as you can tell, I, I do a lot of talking. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it's, it's fun. And, uh, we, we do a Periscope every Monday night. We sit down in my uh, Eskimos room and, and talk some football stuff. And, uh, then we turn the mics on and, and chat for about an hour every week and, uh, set up all the other games and, um, do a, you know, pick and fantasy and all those types of things. Uh, but yeah, we run down the game, good or bad. And, and then we set up next week's game and, and get excited and, and talk to all of you guys across the uh, Canadian Football Podcast Network and and just kind of uh, connect with our football family. It's it's a lot of fun. All righty. Uh, well, obviously, we greatly appreciate your time. Um, as I think we've said this a couple times already this season, Andrew, that, uh, you know, just uh, we may be friends now, but uh, uh, for three hours, we will hate each other and call each other's names. But then, but then after that, we can just sit down and have a beer and uh just make mild references to who won the game. Uh, well, see, and, and, and much like I say, you know, I wish you the best of luck in week seven. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. That's it. Um, if anybody wants to uh, catch you on social media, Andrew, how would they do so? Uh, well, if you want to follow me personally, I'm at Free Pelicious, uh, which yeah, there's a long story behind that, but we'll we'll go with that. Um, and then uh, if you want to follow the show, you can uh, check out our website, actually, eskempire.ca, and uh, all of our social links are there. But basically, it's some version of Esk Empire Pod is what we are on Twitter. And, uh, of course, the show goes out pretty much any podcatcher that you have will get it. And uh, and then, of course, uh, you can interact with us uh, either on on Twitter, on our Facebook page, and and uh, join us Monday nights for the Periscope and or Facebook Live. We're kind of switching between the two and uh, chat with us a bit, and then uh, the shows usually come out on Tuesdays. Uh, great, con- I mean, yes. So Andrew says he think he can talk, but we love talking about the about the CFL with uh, with any fan across the league, right? Oh, without question. And Andrew, you're just not going to get much better than him as far as being insightful. Uh, still very much a fan. Still very much loves the product, and uh, just but still offers a very smart, very well educated opinion on the Edmonton Eskimos, and definitely learned a lot from just spending a few moments uh, sitting and learning from Andrew. And uh, you know, we definitely appreciate him coming on, uh, sharing that knowledge. Uh, by all means, folks, if you haven't already, go check out the Eskimo Empire podcast. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, also, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, Go listen now. Well, finish listening to this episode and then go listen now to the- <laughs> Yes, don't leave us hanging. Don't leave us hanging. So, Cliff, uh, you know, the Alouettes are going to be hosting their uh, their first Saturday home, regular season home game in 12 years. The last time that they held a, uh, a Saturday home game was uh, October 20th, uh, 2017. Uh, that was versus the Toronto Argonites. And that was a game actually over the Big O. Um, but it is... You know, for fans, this will be like a, a whole brand new thing. You know, 
no more sad Sunday games, but uh, uh, what's your thought on having a, a game start at 4 p.m. on a Saturday? Well, I'm a little used to it now because that was exactly the game that we went. I was at last week was Saturday at 4 p.m. Yeah. So I guess I'm a little ready for it, but I mean, for it to be happening in Montreal is definitely going to be uh, a, a little bit different. Uh, I mean, we've gotten so accustomed to the Friday night games, uh, God help us, the Thursday night games, and yeah, the Sunday games. Uh, so this will be uh, a bit of uncharted territory, or at least territory that we don't explore very often. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I mean, they say Saturdays are for the boys, but I, 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 as far as I'm concerned, the boys, the girls, everybody's welcome to come and uh, and check this out. Uh, I definitely hope uh, I, I definitely hope with it being a Saturday game, you don't have to work the next day, so that's, that's not an excuse. Yeah, I, I really hope that fans come out and uh, and and support this team because hey, you know what, this city loves a winner. And right now, the Alouettes have been winning. A two-game winning streak is that's not for nothing, folks. I mean, that's 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 good stuff right there. It makes me wonder if we're going to get near capacity. Could we actually get a 20,000 for this game? It's very possible. Well, listen, I mean, it, we're in the summertime. Uh, as far as I can tell, the weather weather reports are supposed to be nice. Uh, as I said, it's, it's, it's not a school night. It's not a work night uh, next day. As far as I'm concerned, I don't see why you can't get this stadium completely packed. Yeah. I mean, this is this would be an ideal ideal way to do it. And again, you come out and watch a winning football club. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the best advertising I can think of as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And and there are a lot of things that are going on for this game besides the Tackle Hunger game, which we want to mention again. Um, again, uh, bring either some perishables or, uh, or a donation and you get to take a picture with the Grey Cup. Almost a yearly tradition for me. Um, all it is also uh, family day where kids are getting in for five bucks. Whoa! I'm sorry, nice. Cliff. I'm sorry, Cliff. You cannot pass for uh, for a kid. I'm sorry. As much as you want to, you you cannot pass as a kid. So unfortunately, you're gonna have to pay full price. Well, I'm somebody's kid. So that should count for something. <laughs> yes. And if I'm not mistaken, I think isn't it two dollar hot dogs? I think it's two dollar uh, hot dogs. I didn't see that mentioned, I think, but uh, I think I think I saw that mentioned that it's two dollar hot dogs. Well, listen. I mean, there you go, folks. I mean, bring the bring the family, get them fed without breaking the bank, get to watch some amazing football, and hey, get your picture taken with this, the Grey Cup. I mean, what, what what more do you need, folks? I mean, this you've got a, a winning football club, you've got a quarterback that is playing his butt off, yeah. You've got the, a team that is just starting to come together and nice and early too i mean yeah. barring ca- some catastrophic injuries like this is a team that can really truly put some points on the board and god help us they just might actually win more than more than those two games yeah. i mean th- th- there's as far as i'm concerned there's no good reason for you not to come and support the montreal alouettes and i did just confirm yes it is besides being the family game it is also lester's two dollar so dude you can get in your kid can get in for five bucks and you can feed them if you want to. You can feed them for four. There you go. I mean, you, you talk about affordable options. You talk about uh, trying to, again, uh, trying to appeal to the fans. Yeah. And and yes, you know, go, professional sports is getting more and more expensive every single day. But promotions like this going on, you, you want to pack the stadium. As I said, Saturday afternoon, not Saturday night. You don't have to. You know, if you want to go out and uh, party it up in Montreal, you can still do that after the game. Uh, you don't have to get up at the crack of dawn unless you really want to you hit the tailgate early. I'm telling you, four o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday—that's perfect. Yeah. That's a—you just go in there. Let's get that stadium packed and let's show this this Alouettes team that you believe in them. Mm-hmm. Like they—they've gone out. Like you, you had a two busloads of fans 
coming up all the way to Ottawa to go watch this team play. And they did not disappoint. I don't think anyone got off that bus disappointed. Exactly. Uh, also, so, yeah, so, 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 so again, as far as I'm concerned, there's no excuse. This, this, this team is doing everything possible to get you to come out to the game and just enjoy this experience. And I tell you what, folks, if you've still not been to a Montreal LOS game, well, that stadium is packed. It is rocking. It is loud. It is a true football atmosphere. And that's all you can ask for is just to go there and be entertained. Yeah, you're going to get the occasional folks there that are you know, more preoccupied with getting their selfies on Instagram and uh, you know all the, all the other jazz. But you know what? Once the football game is underway, once everybody's into it, Yellowwood starts scoring points and this place is jumping – I tell you what, you'll be back again and again and again. Yep. Uh, real quick note too: it, uh, Vernon Adams Jr. was actually he was among the CFL Players of the Week. Obviously, very well deserved. Very well deserved for that one. Um, also, from currently when, when we are currently taping here on Tuesday, Saturday's forecast: Cliff looks at a high of 31 with only a 10 percent chance of rain. So, uh, and and also another reason to go to this game, Cliff, to see the number of the jersey that I choose. That's oh. right. I'm making my choice. So stay tuned. <laughs> oh, snap. All right. Well, folks, we've we've been talking about this. I mean, with new uniforms uh, comes uh, you know, new uniforms comes new merch, new responsibility, new, new merch, new responsibilities. Uh, now we get to see who is who's going to be on the back for Tim. That's right. Also, speaking of uniforms, that Matt, uh, that uh, the, that combo that the Owls used last week in, in, in Ottawa was sharp it was rocking man the white mm-hmm. on blue i'm so glad that they're able to do this because uh, you know sometimes monochrome can be sort of like meh but you know what uh, uh it didn't work so well for ottawa the black on on the black on uh, on white for them but uh, us the white on blue it looked absolutely perfect uh, no it was a very clean look and i have to say i was uh, I, I really enjoyed seeing it too and as as, as the saying goes look good play good or sorry, look good, feel good, feel good, play good. That's that's exactly what it was. Exactly. They they looked good on the field. They felt good clearly, and they played good. <laughs> what, what that? What else can you say? This is it was definitely a great uh, a great look for the team. And now they come back home, uh, ready to fe- ready to greet their uh, their public. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tell you what, I'm you know we don't do predictions here, but. Uh, Anyone who thinks this is going to be a repeat performance of the game that we saw the very first game of the season out in Edmonton, I don't think so. Yeah, I think uh, if Edmonton's going to walk out of uh, Percival Molson Stadium with a win, they're going to have to bust their ass and they're going to have to earn every single yard. They're going to have to, they're going to have to outplay this team, which as of right now might be a little easier said than done. Yeah. Also, uh, also, so to, because it's tackle hunger game, they're also going to be giving out warrior masks. Um, if anybody remembers what LBJ was wearing after uh, after his last game played as an Alouette, uh, they're they're giving out something to that effect for for uh, I didn't say how many how many attendants didn't say I didn't say how many people are going to be getting a chance uh, to get it coming in and, so I don't know it says it will be available at all stadium entrances so um, but yeah it uh, should be fun Cliff um, I'm I'm hoping that it's just as it was just as exciting as the game was uh, uh, two weeks ago. No, and I think uh, again, you, you take a look at this matchup, and I think uh, Montreal—they've got the momentum right now. They've—they've they've got things that are starting to click right now. Uh, there's lots of things that they still have to work on. Uh, as I said, the uh, the run defense last week against Ottawa was not much to write home about, and then 
you got CJ Gable coming into this game and he ran he literally ran all over the Alouettes in week one so they're gonna have to find a way to contain him uh, Trevor Harris we know is a notorious Alouettes killer but just get him off his rhythm uh, just find a way to create place ha- make plays happen I mean th- this defensive line I think took a, a turn towards a positive direction last week against Ottawa if they can just bring some of that same energy against this uh, Edmonton Eskimos team you know, if they can get get into Harris's kitchen just a little bit and uh, disrupt him, uh, just shut down the receivers too. Because guys like Greg Ellingson, Kenny Stafford, uh, like these are guys you you really got to keep an eye out for and uh, just shut them down. And I think uh, I think this this has a, the potential to be a very close, very competitive game. And I also think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch too. Win or lose, I think Montreal realizes now that they've got to play this game with everything they've got and. Just have fun with it, and I think they will. I think this is going to be, when it's all said and done, a really, really fun game to watch. Yeah. Uh, once again, uh, we want to thank the uh, thank the for Dave and for Andrew for joining us uh, with their interviews this week on the flight deck. And also, don't forget that we are on social media. There are multiple places where you can find us. Uh, you can find us over on Twitter at Alouettes FL Tech, over at Facebook at Alouettes Flight Deck, and also if you want to listen to the archive for the Alouettes Flight Deck, you can do so by going over to www.alouettesflightdeck.ca, or you can head over to Google Play Music. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. So, Cliff, sir, I will see you at the stadium. Get ready. Should be fun. Oh, I can't wait. I mean, especially now that you've dropped this New Jersey uh, news on us. Whew. Tell you what, folks, uh, make sure if you're not at the game and you're not paying attention, uh, get on the social medias. Make sure you give us a follow. And, uh, man, I- I'm excited. I tell you what, I- is it Saturday yet? Almost. How about now? Almost. How about now? Maybe. We're getting there? Hey, don't make me turn this car around. (laughs) All right, man. Well, I will see you at the stadium, and uh, we hope to see you there, too. If not, we will speak to you here next week on the Flight Deck. So for everybody here at the Flight Deck, for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on Final Approach. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.